0: If you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to turn to with me First Thessalonians, uh, chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen, and so it's just it's like six verses. Uh, but in the six verses, it's just a lot of theology. In this six verses, it's going to take us at least two weeks, maybe even three weeks to, to get through this. Uh, we've been in the series of First Thessalonians, and Paul is writing back to this church, and he's helping them to understand some things. He's answering some of their questions. He's, he's speaking a word into them about this is what a church looks like, and this is what a church should, should be. And so we've been looking at it over the last, last many weeks. We've been walking through this book, and, and we've dealt with every group of scriptures as we've just gone verse by verse. And so today I've entitled this message. Just a place of hope. Just a place of hope. And we come to this group of scripture that is like the ca- classic text for the rapture of the church or end-time theology about what is going to take place. And so so we're going to look at Revelation chapter 4, Matthew chapter 24. I'll reference 2 Thessalonians. And I want to talk about this issue of just end-time theology. And and so uh, let me just read a passage that that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, and then we'll go to Matthew chapter 24 in just a few moments. But in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is with the disciples, and he begins talking to them about, the end time and end time theology and some of the things that are gonna or some of the things that are gonna take place and so Jesus says this and I, I just want to draw your attention and, and we're gonna see how this plays out later in Matthew 24 and even in First Thessalonians and so here's what here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven 15 or 16 he says be on guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravaging wolves. All these descriptions are very, very important for this. And he says in verse 16, he says, you're going to recognize them by their fruit are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. And so Jesus warned them not to buy into everything that you hear and everything that you feel. You need to to be careful. And so Jesus kept reminding the disciples that as the second coming of Jesus Christ gets closer and closer, we're going to see more and more false prophets rise up. And so over the last two years, especially COVID, we have seen more and more false prophets rise up with different predictions, with, with different things. And we've seen that in the last two years. And so today I want to talk to you about the rapture. And so listen, this may be a very new term to you. You may not have been in church very long. You may be a new Christian. And so this term and some of these things that I'm going to talk to you about, uh, may be kind of confusing to you or surprising. And, And so, and no worries. It was, listen, it was surprising to me too. Uh, I came to faith in, in, in 1981. I came to faith in Christ. I was in my 20s. Um, and um, and so after I came to faith in Christ, our church, the church that I was attending, started talking about end-time prophecy, the second coming of Jesus Christ, and, and, and it was all a new concept to me. And then the young adult ministry that I was involved in at the time uh, showed a movie called Thief in the Night. And so I don't know if you've ever, has anybody ever seen that movie? Anybody been around long enough to see them? Yeah, okay. So I saw Thief in the Night. And I'm telling you what, it freaked me out. I'm just being honest. I had, not, I had nightmares. It was, after, it, was, it was based upon Matthew chapter 24 uh, that, that two will be in the field and one will be raptured and one will stay, two will be in a home and one will be taken and one will stay, uh, two will be at the office or whatever. And so, and so I still remember very vividly the opening scene. It was a husband and a wife and, and the husband was in the bathroom and he was, was shaving and it was old school. He had an electric razor that was still plugged into the wall. And so he's shaving, and the wife is trying to wake up, and she hears a weird noise in the bathroom. She goes into the bathroom, and then he's gone. He is gone, and just the razor is just like swinging, and it's rattling back and forth. And and then all of a sudden, it's about her going through in you know, the great tribulation, and not taking the mark of the beast, and learning how to buy and sell goods, and all of those other things. And it literally, listen, it literally freaked me out. This was a totally new concept to me. I was in engineering at the time. I, I'd only been been doing it for about a year or two. And so back in the, back in the day, all the engineers, we would sit in. it was called a bullpen. And so, you know what? It, it was in, and that's like, you know what? It was like a middle school classroom for men. That's what it was like. And so, you know what? You, you know Women weren't in the workplace yet and, and, and in our office. And so it's just a bunch of men, 30 or 40 men in a room, desks pushed up together, all kinds of things. I mean, it was crazy. It was just crazy in there. Well, this movie scared me so bad, I went to the office the next morning, and I told them, you know what, the rapture's coming, and I'm going to be out of here, and I want you guys to go with me. And so I did the very best testimony and the very best I could do, and then I gave them a chance to accept, and none of them accepted, and it was, like, frustrating to me. And so, you know, they said, well, we'll see, whatever. Well, two or three weeks later, I, I had to come in late on a Monday, so I came in on a Saturday to work a couple of hours by myself, and so I'm working a couple of hours, and, and so I had my desk lamp on, and the air conditioner wasn't on, and I had a light jacket. I took it off because I got hot, so I kind of hung it over the, my my chair. I had my calculator on, uh, you know, m- my, my pencil. I had the radio was playing. I got hot, so I took off my boots, so I had my boots there, and then, and then I decided I needed a Coke, and so I just stepped out of our office into the break room, grabbed a Coke, came back, really realized I locked myself out of the office, and so yeah, yeah, you know where this is going, right, and so I locked myself out of the office, and so, but I had keys to my truck, so good news I'd get home, so I went home i didn 't think anything of it, and so Monday morning I came in a few hours late, they were white as ghosts, I mean because <laughs> they they walked in. They walked in, and it looked like my clothes are laying there, the radio is still playing, and I am nowhere to be seen. They even inspected the area, and the pen was, like, laid in place, and they're, like, freaking out. And I said, this is a great time for an invitation. They will accept now, right? And so they didn't accept. And so it just still just kind of frustrated me. And so, I, I, just listen, I just want to hear you. I'm going to give you a lot of information this morning. And I want you to understand this. We're going to go slowly through this. But I want you to know this does not need to scare you. This does not need to scare you. The fact is, the message, the title is a place of hope. And so the Apostle Paul was writing this into the church, not to scare them, not to freak them out, but to give them encouragement, to give them hope. See, they had two issues that they were dealing with. What happens to our loved ones when they die? Where are they? They were worried about that because they have been martyred for their faith. They have been persecuted, some other things. Second thing that they were asking is, what about this end-time theology? So, so Paul answers that. And Paul says, this is where your loved ones are. They're with the Lord. And then, then one day Jesus is coming again, and he started, he started talking about, them, about this. So this, listen, this should not scare you, and this, this should encourage you. Because, and so now you know why Apostle Paul kept praying for this church, that they would grow in faith and love. That they'd be able to endure difficult circumstances because of the hope that is set before them. That they would know how much God loves them and they would be able to receive the word with, 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 with joy and with encouragement. So when you look at this word rapture, the actual word rapture is not mentioned anywhere in scripture. But the theology of rapture is taught all through the Bible. It's just like the, the word Trinity doesn't really appear in the Bible, but we know that the theology of the Trinity is there, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the same with the rapture. So the rapture of the church is maybe a word that you don't understand. It. it may be a new concept to you. And so there's some people that when they look at the book of Revelation, it just like freaks them out it's confusing to them. There's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of signs. There's a lot of things. And so as a result of that, it causes some Christians say, you know what, that's just one of the books of the Bible. We cannot understand. So they just push it away. There's another group of people that when they, when they try to interpret the book of Revelation, they look at, they look at the book of Revelation and say, you know what, it it's it, it's just it's just all images and it's 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 all imagery um, and 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 you, and you just can't figure it out. It's just images and so it's like in the secret code and all of these other things. It's just symbolism. That's all it is. And so, but 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 there there are those that believe that that the Book of Revelation has a plan that is literally laid out uh, for us to understand to give us comfort. And then yes, there is there is some. There is some symbolism, and so I believe it's it's my my personal theology. And listen, let me tell you this: when you look at the end time theology, whether you believe that the church is raptured out before the great tribulation, in the middle of the great tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation, uh, we can disagree over that. Okay, I just want to set you at ease. I I want to give you my theology though. And I want to tell you why I believe this is what the book of Revelation, this is what the scriptures uh, uh, teach. That I've, I've told you that I believe the primary focus and the primary meaning of the book of Revelation first is to give you encouragement that Jesus Christ is worthy to be praised. And Jesus Christ is worthy to be worshipped, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of suffering. The primary purpose of the book of Revelation is to give us comfort and confidence that he's worthy of our worship, he's worthy of our praise regardless of what we walk through. But I also believe that the book of Revelation has a very clear plan laid out. Yes, there is some symbolism there, but it's a very uh, clear plan that is laid out. And so so let's look at this. So Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, I think this is a key verse in the book of Revelation for us to understand this plan. And uh, and here's what it says. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, it says, After this I looked. And there in heaven was an open door, and so this is Apostle John. John is on the island of Patmos. He's receiving revelation, and so he's writing these things. And he says, "The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet." So that's a, that's an that's a that's an important phrase. You're going to hear Jesus reference this phrase. Phrase. You're going to have the Apostle Paul reference that phrase, and then he said, "Come up here." That's important. That word, come up here, is actually one Greek word in in the Greek language. It's three words when they transliterated it out to English. But that word is important, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. And so the concept of the rapture is taught all the way through the scriptures. It's prophesied about in the, in the Old Testament. It's taught in the New Testament. And so if you look at the book of Revelation, you can see that Revelation chapter 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 3, uh, Jesus is talking to the church, and Jesus is speaking to the church, right? He, he, he writes into the seven churches, and he says, these are the things that, that you're doing well. These are the things you're doing not so well and then repent these are the things that you these are the things you need to change right so in revelation chapter 1 all the way to revelation chapter 3 jesus is speaking to the church and then you come to revelation chapter 4 verse 1 and it says to john come up here come up to heaven it parallels the rapture it ca- parallels 1st Thessalonians and then from revelation chapter 4 All the way on, you never have any writings where Jesus is speaking into the church. Don't you think if the church is going to have to go through the great tribulation, the seven-year period, that there would be some words of encouragement, excuse me, there would be some words of instruction for the church? So my theology is pre-trip. My theology is this. Is yes, we're going to have to go through some labor pains, and we're going to have to go through some birth pains as we lead up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But the church is going to be raptured out, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to be in heaven. We'll talk about that. We'll, we'll see how it lays out. Because you can see this timeline here because he speaks to the church. He invites John to come up. And then there's no more words in the book of Revelation about the local church. Because when you look at this, part of the great tribulation is the judgment uh, on this planet and the judgment on the world. As believers, you have already been judged. When you accepted Christ, you have already passed through the judgment. Jesus Christ went to the cross for the penalty uh, and the payment of your sins. And so in a sense, we've already passed through that that judgment and we're his children we're blood bought, we're acceptable, we're pleasing in his sight, we're forgiven, we're his children. And so when you look at this, the rapture speaks of the separation of Christians and non-Christians. And so here's what he says. He says it will come quickly. So we'll read what Paul says to the church there in 1 Thessalonians, and here's what he says. He said, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. I read this passage at every funeral I do to help people understand where their loved one is. And then he goes on, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep for those we declare to you by word from the Lord that we are, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have passed away, those who have died for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of of an archangel, with the sound of what? The sound of the trumpet, like a trumpet, right? With the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who, who are left, will be caught up together. That relates to John chapter 4, right? Come up here with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, this is a med- message of encouragement. Therefore, this is a message of hope. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so, so when you see it, you see with the sound of the trumpet of God sounds like come up here. We will be caught together. And so, so the disciples, disciples kept pressing into Jesus, right? And you hear this a question a lot, especially with the, 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 the world events that, that are unfolding in our world. And it seems like things are moving quicker and quicker and quicker. People are asking, well, when will the end come, right? I mean, that's a big deal. When will the end come? And the disciples were the same way. And so the disciples asked Jesus Christ, so when will the end come? And here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He said, now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son except the Father alone. And then he gives an illustration, verse 37. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day of Noah boarded the ark, they didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one left, two, two women will be grinding grain with a handmill, and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert. Remember, Jesus, be on guard. Therefore, be alert. Since you do not know what day the Lord is coming, but know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert, not, left, not let his house be broken into. This is why we are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So this morning I'm just going to answer two questions, and the next week we're going to, we're going to talk more about this as well. But I want, to give you, I want to answer two questions. I'll ask the question, I'll answer it and try to give you uh, some understanding of this. The first one is this, is what is the rapture? I mean, the first thing is this, is just what is the rapture? The word caught up is where we get the word rapture. The word caught up in the Greek means to snatch away with a violent force. It means to carry away. It means to seize. It means to snatch away with a, with a violent force. It, it means to be just caught up or, 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 or snatched away. Now listen, in, in the Greek, the Greek has different tenses than the English. And in the Greek, when you look at this phrase, caught up, it's, the, it's in the, the, the second, future, passive, indicative form. Aren't you impressed? <laughs> and let me tell you why I tell you that, and let me tell you why that's important. Because when you look at this, it means this is something that is going to be done to you, for you, not of yourself, that God is going to do this in the future. And so this describes an an event that is going to take place and an event that is going to happen in the future. I mean, it's going to be an event that those who have preceded us in death and those who have already died are going to rise up or be raptured with us. And so when you look at this, you remember that Jesus rose again, and his body was similar but different. And when he, this, when he walked this earth, and he was recognizable but not at first, and he had a different ability. So right now, those who have died, their spirits are enjoying a fellowship, relationship with the Father right now. But when Jesus returns and the rapture, and he raptures those who are in the grave who have died first. And so they're going to be given a new body. They're going to be changed. And those who are still alive on this planet, God will change you in the air and you will be with the Lord. And there's going to be this re- reunion. And those who are dead in Christ will rise first. The scripture says in the twinkling of eye or in an instant, it's something that's going to be done for you. It's going to be something done to you. It's not something that is done of yourself. And as those are taken from the grave, you and I will be caught up together with them, snatched away with a violent force and changed what the scripture says in a twinkling of an eye. And so you're not going to watch people like slowly float up. This is going to be what? This is going to be in, a, in an instant. And so why do we teach this? It's because what the Bible teaches. Fact is, when you look at this and you just start studying end time prophecy, you realize that this is, the, this, is, this is the only thing left to happen. All of the other prophecy has been fulfilled. All of the other prophecy in the Old Testament has been fulfilled. The prophecy in the New Testament has been fulfilled. And so this is the next thing that we're waiting to happen. And so here's the process. There's a a secret uh, uh, rapture of the saints. And so that's the rapture. Then we'll be with him for the great tribulation, the seven-year period. And so it's a seven-year period. I do find it awful odd and interesting at the same time. That most life insurance policies, if you take out a life insurance policy on yourself or someone else, and that in someone dies but they cannot find the body, they can't find the body, there is a seven-year waiting period for the beneficiary to collect, and I just find that interesting. And so when you look at this, then after the seven-year period, uh, there comes publicly. Uh, Jesus comes back with the saints where the battle of Armageddon is fought. And so the scripture says that Jesus comes back with the saints. He he touches down on the Mount of Olives. And I've stood there many times, going to be there in in five or six weeks. And so, so he comes to the Mount of Olives. And so when he touches down on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives splits north to south. The Temple Mount raises up, water flows out of that. It flows down to the En Gedi, Masada, that area, the Valley of Armageddon. And then Jesus makes his way to the Valley of Armageddon. That's where Armageddon is fought. And so we get to witness the whole thing. And so, what happens for the saints? What happens for the believer in the period of the Great Tribulation? Well, we're in heaven, we're with Jesus. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's where we get our rewards. That's where we get our crowns for how we live this world, the things that we did for Christ. And so that's where we gather up our rewards. And then at the end of that, we do what? We take our crowns, we take our rewards, we throw them at the foot of Jesus, and we worship him because he's worthy to be worshiped. Uh, We didn't worship him, and we didn't follow him for the rewards that we get. We did it out of obedience. And then during that seven-year period... There's gonna be a judgment on this, on this planet. That's another reason for my theology uh, pre-trib that God is gonna remove the church out before the great tribulation. Because we've we we've already been judged. We've we've already been judged because of the cross and because of what Christ did for us on the cross. We're forgiven, we're perfect in Him, uh, we're acceptable to Him. And so you look at this and you realize. That, that we are waiting for Jesus, Jesus to come back. And, and, and so what 2 Thessalonians tells us, and we don't have time to read it this morning and talk about it, but the thing that, that, that restrains the, the Antichrist now is the Holy Spirit. And so where does the Holy Spirit live? Where does the Holy Spirit reside? The Holy Spirit resides and lives in us. And that when we, when the church is raptured out, the Holy Spirit is taken away from, from, the, from, from the planet, from the earth. And as a result of that, the Antichrist is unrestrained. And so the only thing that's restraining the Antichrist now is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we carry that. So the second question that I'd like to ask this morning is when will the rapture happen? I mean, when will the rapture happen? This is what the disciples ask. And then we're going to look at how Jesus answered that question. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, it says, Now concerning that day, an hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. So I just want to point out to you, anytime you hear a prophet, so-called prophet, self-designated prophet, stand up and say, I know the date and time that Jesus is coming back then you know they're a false prophet, right? Because the scripture says that no one knows the time. In fact, is, Jude, the book of Jude. Jude deals with this whole subject, and so nobody knows the time. And so we need to learn to focus on what Jesus said. We need to learn to focus on his word and not go by some things we feel or some emotions or anything like that. So anytime somebody puts a date to that, you know that you can disregard it because Jesus and Paul... And the apostle John all said, guess what? It's, it's going to come as a surprise. And Jesus is the one who says it's going to be just like in the days of Noah before the flood. I mean, before the flood, it came as a shock. Nobody knew till Noah and his family boarded the, the ark, and they were, they were drinking, they were dancing, they were giving away in marriage, they were going on with their life, they were planning their future, and then all of a sudden, it just came. But what Jesus does say is, you may not know the date and time, but you need to know the seasons. You need to be able to know the seasons because there's going, to be, there's going to be labor pains. There's going to be false labor pains. And so you're going to need to be aware of that. And, and so verse 2, we'll just walk through this together. He, verse 2, it says, he replied to, to them, do you, do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus was walking with the disciples b- b- beside the temple it was a prophetic message, and he said, do you not see the signs? One day there's not going to be a stone on top of one another. That, that it, they're all going to come down, verse 3. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming, uh, of the end of the age? And so they're asking, what is going to happen? And he, and, and he answers by saying, well, let me give you the signs. Let me give you the signs, just like four seasons, that you, you, you need to be aware of the season that you're in. And so I just want to walk through those with you this morning. And so here's the first thing he says. He says some of the signs are false messiahs. That we're going to have false messiahs. Look at this, verse 4 and 5. Jesus replied to them, watch out that, that, that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. And all you have to do is look at the New Age movement, humanism, and some of those other things that say, you know what, really, you are a God. You you, you can be God. Um, You you can look at that, and and it's the mentality of the culture that you can be a God, that we're, we're over authority in Scripture, and Scripture is not an authority over us. We can determine right and wrong. We're in charge of our life because ultimately we can decide those things. Or you can look at the number of cults, right, the number of cults, theological cults and just just pure cults that have come up through the years and say, you know what, we follow Jesus, but guess what? That Jesus is not the same Jesus as the Jesus you follow, right? That Jesus is not, and you need to be careful about that. And so the first thing he says, there's going to be false messiahs that rise up and say, I'm God, and I've I've rose again. The second thing is this, you're going to have wars and rumors of wars, which leads to the next one with famine, but we'll go back to this wars and rumors of wars. uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. And we can see some of these things now, right? All we have to do is look at Russia. All we have to do is look at the Ukraine. All we have to do is look at things that are going on and how unsettled everything is on the world stage in which we live. And we can see wars, and we can see rumors of wars. Here's the interesting thing. I'd never put wars and rumors of wars together with famine until the Ukraine. It was interesting. Last night I was actually preaching, and I was just about here in the text, and, and uh, I, I use an, an iPad for, for my notes. And, and so I, I was preaching this, and I had forgotten uh, to put my iPad on airplane mode. And when you're ADD, that's a, that's, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Uh, Because if my family starts one of those text messaging threads, it's like a snowball just going downhill. And so you know what? Are emails coming through or anything like that? And so as you know, we, we, we support Pastor Igor over in the Ukraine. It's humanitarian effort. His wife is in Romania. He's up He's up at the border at the western Ukraine. It's getting kind of crazy there. And so I hadn't been able to talk to Pastor Igor in like six days. He, I, I just couldn't communicate. Every week we send him money through Western Union. His wife sent it into, the, into Romania. His wife picks it up there. And you're a part of feeding thousands of refugees And so in the middle of this message last night, all of a sudden an email came across from Pastor Igor with the subject. All I saw, Pastor Igor, and the subject was, I'm still alive, Pastor Charlie. And so we celebrated that. I mean, we actually did. I stopped the the message and said, hey, guess what? Pastor Igor is still alive. And so we'll send him money. Fact is, today, this afternoon, I'll head down to Western Union, and we'll send him more money. And his his wife will pick it up in Romania. But you look at this, wars and rumors of wars and what is going on there and just just the, the, the evilness of what's going on there. I think we have now surpassed, which goes into the next one, a famine. We have now surpassed the number of refugees is now higher than World War II, right and so when you when, when I talk to Pastor Igor and hear about the starvation and what's going on what's happening in Kiev and, and they can't get money uh, food in and they can't get supplies in and they know that in, in you know a week or ten days many of the people could starve to death there I'd never looked at wars and rumors of wars that it was a show, associated with famines and so here's what it says verse seven. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of labor pains. In other words, what he's saying as they start coming, the world starts, the world starts groaning. I mean, you have false labor, and the world right now is groaning. We know it with weird weather, weather patterns, right? Whether it's earthquakes, whether it's tsunamis, whether it's whatever, what happened in just recently in Japan, a 7.8 and 2 million people without power and, and tsunami warnings and everything else. And, and in fact, is, Friday, Friday night, Friday night every year for 17 years, and our church has been a part of this, I do the Pueblo uh, Sheriff's Awards Banquet Uh, I do the invocation, and Karen and I always go to that. And so we just talk to officer after officer after officer that would just simply say, there is a level of evil that we're dealing with now like none other that we've ever seen. You have more and more people say, you know what, right now nothing makes sense, right? I mean, nothing makes sense. It just—it doesn't make sense about an economy. It doesn't make sense about world events. It just used to, at least, whether we agreed or disagreed with it, we at least could follow some logical thought. And now it seems like nothing makes sense. And so you look at these weird weather patterns, and the next thing he says is just persecution. Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's not real popular being a Bible-believing Christian right now, right? Just standing on the Word of God and says, I believe this Bible is inerrant. I believe it is true. I believe that we have the same Bible that the apostles had, the early church had. I believe we have the same Bible. It hasn't been changed. In fact, is you can go to Israel, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, this will be my third trip into to Israel. And it's amazing when you take the scriptures and we go to the sites and you see that archaeologists or archaeologists have proven the events that are in the Bible. You can go there. You can actually read the text and you can see how the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount sits and in and the Kidron Valley. You can go into various areas and you say, oh, my gosh, the precision of this. Now, listen, we don't need ar- archaeologists to help us prove that the Bible is true. But it is encouraging, right? It is encouraging to be able to travel where the Bible was written, where the Bible came out. And you realize it is accurate and in, 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 in true. And so I just want to remind you here, we're just going to continue to stand on the word. We're going to continue to stand on the word, whether it's popular, whether it's not popular. No matter what happens, we're not going to get our, our, our clues from the world. We're just going to stand on the word because we are citizens of heaven more than we're citizens of this world. And we're going to line up with the, wor- the word more than we'll ever line up with the word and uh, with the world. And so, don't get caught off by guard, but caught off guard by that. And then the last thing is this: is Jesus says there's going to be there's going to be false prophets. There's going to be false prophets. It says, verse eleven: many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And he said, there'll be false prophets or false teachers. There'll be pastors speaking to God's children that sound more like teaching of the world's values than God's values. I mean, we've watched it, right? We've watched denominations. I mean, you can look at any denominations. They're all in division. They're all struggling. And you can watch the denominations that once stood firm on the Word of God. And when it didn't become so popular that all of a sudden those denominations are splitting and having problems. Why? Because all of a sudden they started getting their clues. They started looking more like the world's values in the Bible. And then the denomination started having trouble. And so so Jesus said part of the birth pains are going to be when you see these false prophets rise up. And, oh, my word, the COVID false prophets that we've had these last two years, when we went into COVID for fun, Maybe you think that's not so fun. Uh, As a hobby, I started charting all of the false prophets. And I started charting everything that they said. What concerned me more than anything was the number of people that were deceived by them. The number of people that shared their Facebook videos, shared their social media, shared their things. I think the thing that concerned me the most was the people that were deceived by them. I mean, when you look at this, I think think sometimes maybe the church doesn't understand what a prophet is. And maybe the church doesn't understand what the definition of a prophet is. See, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 says, okay, so here's what a prophet does. A prophet, New Testament prophet, edifies the church, builds up the church, comforts, strengthens, supports the church. And so when you look at this, it goes back, right? It goes back to Jesus' teaching and says, hey, I want you to know there's some, going to be some false prophets, and here's how you're going to know. They're going to come in she- sheep's clothing. They're going to appear to be a Christian. They're going to appear to be a pastor. They're going to appear to be a, pa- a prophet, whatever. they will be in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they're ravaging wolves. What do ravaging wolves do? They destroy. They defy. Uh, they deceive. I mean, when you look at that, and then he says, you're going to need to see them outwardly. The results... And which is the results, look at their fruits. And so listen, let me just tell you, just so you know, when you look at this, there are a lot of self-appointed prophets out there, and they're, they are growing. But if that person is not building up the church, if that person is not encouraging the church, if that person is dest- destroying like pastors and churches and other people, calling them names, then they are not a prophet of God. Look, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3 Gives a definition of a prophet. He says, on the, on the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to the people for what? For their strengthening, their encouragement, and their consolation or their support. So if you hear a prophet, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's over social media, whether it's TV, whatever, if you hear a false prophet and they give you fear and they're tearing down pastors and they're tearing down people and they're tearing down churches, then you know they don't line up with the definition of a prophet that is given in scriptures. Because the prophets in scriptures do not tear down churches, do not divide. They build up and encourage. And so the scripture tells us that's one of the ways to identify a prophet a prophet is someone who just takes the word lets the word speaks encourages you through the word acts chapter 15 verse 32 look at this both judas and silas who are also prophets themselves encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message so what did judas and silas do They're prophets. What did they do? They encouraged the brothers and sisters, and they strengthened them. It didn't say they tore them down. It didn't say they weakened the body. It didn't say they gave them fear. It just simply said, so what Jesus would say, a false prophet is one that tears down. A true prophet is one that builds up. Beware. Beware of people that tear down and call names and destroy. Listen, I've I've lived long enough and I've been around long enough at traumatic times in the world events. I have watched false prophets blow in, blow up and blow out, right? And they're just off to the off to the next thing. And when you look at this, you realize that when someone is a self-proclaimed prophet and they think they can predict the future, whether they have a lot of followers on Facebook or Twitter, no matter how big their social media print is, footprint is, Please look at the fruits. Because a lot of times, you know what's happening? They're tearing down the church, but they're building themselves up. It's just pride working in their life. And as long as I'm your pastor, I'll continue to, to equip you just to be able to hear the, word of, the written word of God, to encourage, to equip, to comfort, and to support. And there are a lot of, I'm just telling you, there are a lot of angry Christians out there, right? There are a lot of angry pastors out there are a lot of angry churches out there, and I am determined. I am not going to become an angry pastor, and I am not going to be an angry Christian. And Well, thank you, and I, am not, and I am not going to lead an angry church. You have a choice, and I have a choice. You can be an angry Christian, or you can be a prayerful Christian. You cannot be both. You cannot be both, and that's why we're going to be a prayerful church. And that's why we're going to continue to build up and to encourage. Here's the last scripture, Acts chapter 3, verse 22. And it said, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. This is an Old Testament reference that the Apostle Paul used all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. The prophet that he is talking about is Jesus Christ. He is our true prophet. And what Moses said all the way back in, in, in Deuteronomy that there is a Messiah coming, his name is Jesus Christ, and he's going to be a true prophet. And you need to listen. And that's why we just simply take the word. We allow the word to speak to encourage, comfort, and support. This message is a message of hope. I've got a lot more to share with you over the next couple of weeks. We've just kind of scratched the surface. This is something that I I want you to understand. That I want you to understand from a biblical view. I know there's a lot of talk in our world going on about this subject right now. But I think the church should start talking about this. In just a biblical way to give you comfort encouragement and support and the biggest thing is are you ready are you ready we may all disagree whether it's the tribute he's going to come back before the tribulation in the middle or at the end but the big question is is are you ready do you know him do you have a relationship with him where you've come to the place where you place your faith in him You've accepted him, and you started walking with him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?